0: i got a story to tell you this morning. I may have told this one before, but I I just, I like it. One Sunday morning, there was a pastor in a little more traditional church. And he was in the lobby, and he noticed a little boy staring up at a plaque that hung on the wall in the foyer. And the plaque was covered in names, and it had some small American flags on it. And the seven year old boy had been staring at it for quite a while. So the pastor walked up to him and he said, Well, good morning, Alex. What are you looking at? He's like, Well, I'm, I'm looking at this plaque. He said, What is this, Pastor? What, what is this thing? He said, Well, Alex, it's a memorial to all the young men and women who died in the service. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Soberly, the little boy looked up at him after a short pause and he said, which one, the 8.30 or the 11.30? (laughs) Kids are funny, aren't they? Like the way they just take things at face value and, and the innocence sometimes with which they see things. I looked up a few other stories this week that I thought you might appreciate, just some shorter ones. But Sunday school teacher asked one time, Johnny, do you know, did you think Noah did a lot of fishing while he was on the ark? He said, No. She said, well, why not? Well, how's he going to fish with only two worms? (laughs) One little girl said, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. (laughs) I kind of like this one, too. One, One Sunday morning in church during a pastor's prayer, there was a loud whistle from one of the back pews. Little Tommy's mother was horrified. She pinched him into silence, and after church she asked, Tommy, what made you do such a thing? He answered soberly, well, the pastor said, pray and ask God for things, so I asked him to teach me how to whistle, and he did. (laughs) I like that one, little Tommy's faith, having God answer his prayer. And that's where we're headed this morning. We're gonna talk about a childlike faith that trusts God with innocence and trusts him with obedience and in humility. So with that, let me, um, let me pray, then we'll read the text this morning, and uh, we'll move forward. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for uh, his example to us in scripture, and his grace and kindness to us, especially as it's displayed towards children. He calls us to be childlike in our faith, that if we're to enter the kingdom, we're to be like little children. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning you would encourage us not to be childish, which is the parable we see this morning, but to be childlike in our faith. I pray pray of thanks that you forgive me and that you change me, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that your words would be mine and you would speak to and through me as I teach and preach your word. And I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, that He wouldn't take your word and twist it or accuse us, but instead, Holy Spirit, change us. As we sang, you're welcome here. Do your work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Luke chapter 7, and we're studying the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus the Lion Man of Judah, through all four Gospels. So today, the passage we're in is Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. And if you remember the context, this is right after Jesus... Had, uh, had done some teaching, done healing ministry, and John's disciples came to him and they had a question from John because John had some doubts. And Jesus performed some miracles to answer John's question and to encourage him in his faith. And then he goes on and he continues speaking and he says this. He says, well, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation, Jesus says? What are they like? Well, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. Hey, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a dirge. You didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread, drinking no wine, Jesus said. And yet you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, Jesus says, is justified by all our children. That's our text for this morning. We're going to take some time. Let's, let's go back through it and work through it and see exactly what it is Jesus is teaching us here. He starts off in verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? You know, this is a common beginning to a Jewish proverb. And Jesus being a Jewish himself and a rabbi, a teacher, he, he would often speak as a teacher in that they would and and one of the ways they would often begin parables is to say to what then shall i compare or to what then is this generation and that was common in in their day and and this generation that Jesus is referencing is specifically the people in verse 29 and 30 that had some who had believed John's message and others who had rejected John's message. Some who believed Jesus was Messiah and some who rejected him and God's purposes for their life of him as Messiah. And, and so specifically he's talking about this that specific generation. But ultimately he's not talking about just that generation because that's a term that's used throughout scripture for anyone ultimately who had... Do as the Pharisees and the lawgivers did, which is reject God's purposes for themselves, this generation. In fact, the Old Testament uses that phrase for the Israelites when they hardened their heart in the wilderness. So maybe this morning as you hear this message and you leave, those words that are above the door as you leave, today if you'd hear his voice don't harden your heart, maybe you wouldn't be like this generation as you leave and you'd be reminded of that as you leave each Sunday. But it's a reference to people who refuse to accept God's grace and repent and follow Jesus, and he, Jesus is telling a short parable here, and he's making a comparison. Uh, some some commentators call this the parable of the brats, <laughs> the parable of the snotty nosed kids. That's this parable. It probably isn't headed that way in your Bible, but that's that's what it is here. This next verse, and here's what he's doing. He's making a comparison and. By the way, before we even go into it, he, we do this all the time, right? We compare people to different things all the time. We, we say, oh, "Oh, he, man, that guy, he's like a pit bull. He just get things, gets things done." Uh, how, she's like a dripping faucet. She's just always complaining. He's a squeaky wheel. He, he's he's always making noise about something. He's a, he's a gossip. He's, he's just a busybody. We go through the list. And Jesus is making comparison. And he thinks for a minute. He says, to, to what shall I compare this generation? And basically what he says, what we're going to see in verse 32 is that he says, this generation is like a bunch of spoiled brats. Here they are. They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. Well, in the marketplace, this might be, think like the town square. Think like a farmer's market in that day. And maybe they're sitting there because the market's closed down and they're just sitting around playing kickball and having fun and doing their thing as kids. Or maybe their parents are shopping and so they're off to the side playing games and running around causing havoc. In any case, they're just being kids. But he says they're calling one another. He says they're like children calling to one another. The kids are playing a game is what Jesus is saying. And first, you know what they play first? My guess is there's some girls in this group because first they play wedding. First they play wedding. Look, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. Well, that was a common thing to do at a wedding. You'd, you'd play some music, you'd play the flute, you'd have instruments, you'd have you'd have a reception, and you'd have a dance, and it'd be a lot of fun, a ton of rejoicing at a wedding, because a wedding was a time to rejoice. It still is. And and Jesus is saying, it's like they're playing wedding. They're saying, hey, so think about it. The kids are there. The little girl says, hey, you be the groom. I'll be the bride. You you be the pastor. We'll, we'll, we'll get the instruments out. We'll play. And maybe, they're, maybe they have their own little flutes, little recorders for music class. Or maybe uh, maybe they just are whistling and doing their thing and playing air guitar, whatever it is. And they're, they're, they're playing and dancing. And they're singing. And some of them are really into it. But then there's another group of kids who are sitting over on the side over here. Just staring at him like, I'm not doing that. Maybe all the boys are over here, I'm not that's dumb. There's no way I'm playing wedding. They're like, Well, what's the deal? We we played the flute for you, we played our instruments, we played what? You didn't dance. Why won't you dance? What's wrong? Maybe you're just in a bad mood. Hey guys, let's change the game. We're gonna change the game. No more wedding. To accommodate this group, let's play funeral. so they start singing a dirge they start singing a mournful sad song sad sulking music they sing and it gets into a minor key and they weep and they wail and they mourn and after a while they notice that group is over here still just sitting there staring at them like I'm not playing that no uh -uh. I don't want to do that well why won't you wail because we don't want to And ultimately, this group kind of looks at that group and really just says, nothing's good enough for you, is it? (laughs) Nothing's good enough for you. See, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. We'll be happy, but you won't be happy. We'll be sad, you won't be sad. What do you want from us? What do you want to play? And Jesus is saying that this generation is like a bunch of spoiled brats. They're like a group of people who sang over here, and no matter what the game is, they don't like it. They don't like it. Now, it's not clear exactly which group Jesus is comparing them to. Is he saying they're like this group, or, or, and they're, they're the ones who are making make-believe and having fun, and nobody does what they want, so they get all upset? Or are they this group who just won't participate? It's probably this group, I think. We'll get to that in a moment, but let me explain. Let's look at verse 35 and keep reading because here now Jesus starts to explain his parable. He says, you're like children who say, we we played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance, we played a dirge, we sang a dirge for you you wouldn't weep. And here's why because here, here's how this relates to real life. John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And yet you say, oh, he has a demon. That guy has a demon. That John the Baptist. <laughs> He's a strange one. Now, We've talked a lot about John over the last couple weeks. I won't say too much here, but he was a prophet. He dressed kind of strange. He lived in the wilderness. He ate bugs and honey. But ultimately, John, even while we kind of laughed at maybe him being a little bit odd, he was, Jesus said, the greatest man who ever lived. He was an incredible teacher of God's word, an incredibly devout man to God's word. And one of the things that the Bible teaches us as we look at him and compare him to other people of his time is he was an ascetic, as an ascetic. What that means, asceticism is when I deny something physical. And, And spiritually, if I do that in a Christian way, it's denying something physical to enhance something spiritual. So one aspect in which we sometimes practice asceticism is if we fast. We deny ourselves food, not because denying ourselves food makes us a better Christian. That's a false form of asceticism, and that's religion. But we do that so that It enhances my spiritual walk, and I remember that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And one of the things when you fast, maybe you would fast, and when you feel hunger pains, instead of grabbing the Snickers, you grab your Bible and go, I need to be fed, I'm hungry, but I, I really, more than food, I need Jesus. And it's a reminder to me that then I seek Jesus and I deny something physical to enhance something spiritual. And that's what John does. He takes a vow to where he's not going to eat bread. He's not going to drink alcohol. He goes gluten-free and alcohol-free. That's John. Before it was cool, he was gluten-free. Right? I mean, that's, that's John. And he's an ascetic. But in spite of this, the people declared about him. He was a gluten-free teetotaler, and the people said about John, he has a demon. He looks like a prophet, sounds like a prophet, dresses like a prophet, speaks like a prophet, uh, is clearly uh, faithful to God's word, but I think he probably has a demon. Because he doesn't eat bread, he's gluten-free, and he's a teetotaler. That's John. They just thought he was strange. Who does that? Well, the reality is it was a common practice in that day. And some of the people who probably accused John of that did those same things themselves for different seasons of their life in order to seek God more. But really, they probably did it for the wrong reasons to be spiritual instead of to to know God more. So the religious people looked at John and they didn't declare him righteous, which they would declare of themselves when they practiced those things. They just declared him weird. He's got a demon. He was out in the wilderness where all the demons are, and he's got a demon. John's messed up. So Jesus says, well, that's what you say about John. Okay, well, if they have to say that about John, well, maybe we're just talking about a certain group of people. And maybe they're more into rejoicing instead of uh, weeping and the harsh message of, of John. So I'll bet if somebody unlike John comes that they'll accept him, won't they? Somebody opposite of John. And Jesus says in verse 34, let's keep reading. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And I love it because it shows his humility. Jesus, who is fully God, instead of identifying himself primarily as the Son of God, he identifies himself with mankind because he loves us. And he says he's the Son of Man. That was a title taken from Daniel. Daniel was the one to coin that in the Old Testament in a prophecy about Jesus. And I think it's a very humble title for Jesus to take for himself. But the son of man, Jesus talking about himself has come eating and drinking. Well, John didn't eat bread, John didn't drink wine. Jesus comes in, eats bread, and he drinks wine. I know that might be hard to understand, but he drinks wine. He makes wine. Jesus he never got drunk, but he drank wine. The son of man has come eating and drinking. He's the opposite of John. But they didn't like him either. And they say, look at him. He's not a gluten free teetotaler, but he's a drunkard and a glutton. That's who he is. John had the paleo diet, eating bugs and honey. But Jesus ate bread and he's a glutton. And since Jesus drank wine, he's automatically a drunkard. They just took it to the extreme. They, They just didn't like anything. And not only that, but he's a friend of tax collectors. He hangs out at the bar, he doesn't just drink, he drinks it at the bar. With those people. Oh boy. I don't like this guy. So Jesus is comparing this generation to those I believe. Who are over here on the story of the little kids. Who nothing is ever good enough for them. Whether John comes and he doesn't eat bread or drink wine. That's that's no good. He's got a demon. Or Jesus comes eating bread, drinking wine. Oh he's a glutton and he's a drunkard. Well what is good enough for you? (laughs) That had to be what what Jesus wanted to ask him. When is it ever going to be good enough? Nothing is good enough for you. Do you see what's going on here? John came singing a dirge. And he sang the dirge saying, repent, weep, the kingdom's at hand. but, But you did not repent. In fact, you criticized John for not rejoicing. So then another one comes rejoicing, playing wedding, Jesus, the bridegroom himself. And he's, he's rejoicing, and he's playing the flute, and there's good music, and they should have danced. And, but they didn't dance. They just criticized him as eating too much food and drinking too much wine at the reception. Nothing is ever good enough. Here's the point. Nothing is ever good enough for religious people. It's not. It's never good enough. Nothing's good enough because the reason is they're childish critics, They're childish critics. See, here's the point of the passage for us this morning and where we're going to spend the rest of the time as we we look through some application. Jesus tells this parable, what do I compare this generation to? Well, they're like a bunch of spoiled brats. And what he's saying is for us, don't be childish, be childlike. And my question for you and my question for myself is, am I childlike or am I childish? Do I have a childlike faith, which Jesus commends, or do I have a childish religiosity? Do I have a childish criticism? Am I just a childish religious critic? Or do I have a childlike faith? And the truth of the matter is, all of us tend to go back and forth between those two. So don't if you, if you feel like, oh, I've got childlike faith, I can't stand those childish critics. Guess what? There, there's been times, and there will be times probably, where you're a childish critic, and I'm a childish critic we need to pay attention to those so we repent and instead seek a childlike faith that we be like the kids who who weeped when there was time for weeping and rejoiced when there was time for rejoicing and so let's look at each of these both the childlike faith and a childish religiosity we'll start with the the childish side as i mentioned for religious people it's never enough it's never enough John, was, John didn't eat anything or drink anything. He had a demon. Jesus ate and drank. Well, he's a glutton and a drunkard. You'll never get it right with a religious person. And if you're a religious person, you'll never be happy. Now, when I say religious, some of you are going, well, I come to church all the time. What do you mean religious? Why is that such a bad word? Here's why it's a bad word. In the Bible, religious, religion and religiosity is a very bad thing because what it is is it's playing the game. <laughs> It's not really going to Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus that brings freedom and joy. It's just going through the motions and doing enough good things that maybe God will like me now. And maybe now I'm at least better than those people. That's religion. Religion is achieving my identity. It's achieving my favor from God. But the problem is you can't do that. It always ends in disaster. You need God's grace and you need his mercy, not religion. You need friendship. You need repentance, not religion. And and religious people are childish because they just play the game, or in this case, they don't play the game. And Paul, when he's writing to a whole church of childish people in Corinth, some some of the best passages we have on having a childlike faith and avoiding childishness come from the book of 1 Corinthians and from Paul. He writes this to them. He says, by the way, but with me, it's a very small thing. This is chapter four, verses three and five, that I should be judged by you. Or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Paul's saying, I'm not interested in being judged by religious people. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm not going to do it. I have one judge. His name is Jesus. And I'm going to obey him and follow him. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I love you. But I, I just, I don't have time for two judges. I'm just going with one. I don't have time for 400 critics. I'm just going with one. That's Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, it's a, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. And that, that's, how you, that's a good way to respond to religious critics, to childish critics, is say, you know what? You can just sing them a song. It's a small thing after all. It's a small thing after all. It's a small thing after all to be judged by you. I care about Jesus. I'm going to be judged by Jesus, not you. That's what Paul says. He goes, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but for the same reason, I'm not acquitted. It's the Lord. It's Jesus who judges me, he says in verse four. And here's what religious people tend to do. The childish critics tend to do. They, they try to make you fit their mold. Childish people will demand conformity. You've got to be like everybody else. You've got to sing the right songs. You've got to dress the right way. You've got to be quiet at the right point. You've, it, it, mm. That's a childish critic. They demand conformity. And they, they often will take two. They'll, they'll take one part of scripture and they'll emphasize it at the expense of another part. So they open their Bibles here, but they glue the pages shut over here. <laughs> That's what they do. And, and this, is, this is really important. You've got to be all about this passion. And this is really important. Why? Yeah, okay, well, what about, what about this truth? <laughs> what about this truth? I agree with that, but what about this? Well, that page doesn't open in my Bible. We're right here. Right here, and, and they 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 emphasize one point of scripture at the expense of others, and they often have a false understanding of what the Bible actually teaches at the expense of God's grace, and with it's with a view towards you that they judge not themselves. They like to judge other people, but not their own hearts. See, that's been most of the time when you hear people have an issue with the church or with Christianity. It's not with true Christianity. It's with religious people who are being childish, who maybe they're true Christians, but they've remained childish instead of childlike. And there's a big difference. And Jesus says we should be childlike. Let me read this one, a couple more passages from Paul, and then we'll look at what it means to be childlike. Because the best distinction between these two is also found, I think, in 1 Corinthians, as Paul writes. First, he writes in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, But I, brothers, he's writing again to a childish church, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. You are childish, in other words, he's saying. And even now you're not ready. You're still childish, he says, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul goes on uh, 10 chapters later in chapter 13, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Chapter later in verse 20 of chapter 14, he says, brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. In other words, be childlike as it relates to your innocence and as it relates to your faith and your trust in God. But don't be children in your thinking. In your thinking, be mature. Don't be childish. Be childlike is what Paul's saying. And that's what we're going to talk about now this morning is some ways to be childlike in our faith. Let's define it first. Childlike faith is just an attitude of simple trust and faith. It's trusting God like a child would trust their parents, like a good child would trust their good parents. Being childlike is commended in Scripture. It's an appropriate attitude for us to take before God because God calls us His children. So it's good for us to be childlike in our relation to Him. And He treats us like children, He cares for us tenderly, like a good parent. So let's look at five ways. There's many, many more, and you'll have an opportunity to talk about more of them in your 110 group this week. But let's just look at five and get the conversation going and get our our minds going this morning. First, I would say this. Be childlike in trust. In trust. Have you ever noticed how a child trusts? How a child will trust? A young child will run out into a street of busy cars, with no fear whatsoever. As long as they got your hand. <laughs> right? There's just no fear. They'll go anywhere you want to take them. As long as you got their hand. They're, they're not afraid. Come on, let's go. Okay. Here I come, dad. And sometimes they get so brave, they just take off into the street by themselves. You have to reach out and get back here. But but childlike, if I'm going to be childlike, I need to trust like a child would. His mom and dad. One theologian writes that there are certain traits possessed by children that really bode well for us to possess a mature faith. Number one, children have no fixed perception of reality. In other words, they're predisposed to believe in the impossible and the improbable. What do you mean impossible? Come on. I could climb that wall. I could jump off that the fridge and be fine. I mean, I... He's got childlike faith. He's got trust. He's got no fear. I mean, along with this, a child has boldness, don't they? They believe in magic, he writes. In fact, they expect magic. Children know how to accept a gift. That's another thing he writes. They're dependent since birth. Philip Yancey says on this point he says they receive gladly and unself consciously. They're fine opening their presence in front of other people because it's a present. And I'm excited about it. And they tear through the paper and get at it. No false sense of humility. Children know how to trust. They have, in fact, we have to teach them not to trust strangers. It's inherent in <laughs> who they are. They just, a childlike faith is one that trusts God. I don't get it. But let's cross the street. <laughs> You got my hand? Here we go. Let's do it. In the Psalms, in Psalm 131, David writes this. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And in verse 2 he says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. The psalmist, David uses a description here that describes an increasing maturity, not childishness, but childlike faith. He, he no longer needs his mom's milk. He's been weaned. And he shows his maturity and his ability to just wait and trust for the time that he gets food childishness doesn't trust God. It says, God, I want my money and I want it now. (laughs) Like those commercials, right? It's my money and I want it now. A childish faith says, God, I rubbed the bottle. Here's my three wishes. Where are they? That's childishness. A childlike faith is like this. Stands by waiting, trusting God. My soul's quiet. I'm okay. You got my hand. I'll be all right. I can wait childlike faith trusts God. Let's be childlike in our trust. Number two, how about childlike in our obedience? In our obedience. You're like, I don't know, you don't know my kids, Josh. <laughs> childlike in their obedience? Come on. Yeah, but but really think about it. Yeah, maybe, obviously we're like children, we disobey. But for the most part, when you, when a child knows that there's a good authority there, and you ask them to do something, they're, they're going to do it, always no. But again, that's not that's on the child. They're being childish instead of childlike in the moment, right? But childlike, they're going to obey. And and the the scripture tells us that we should obey like children. We should obey our father. Why? Because well, listen. Why why do you want your kids to obey you? I, I don't know any of you. I would hope there's none of you that in your commands or your things that you give to your children, you're doing it just out of like some kind of weird vengeance or to get back at them or you're angry with them or upset with them. You do it because you love them. And you go, just do this because this is what's best. Either this is going to keep you from harm or this is going to train you to be a better man or woman one day. Just just obey. Just do what I say. Why should I do it? Because I said so. and Because I love you. Right? That's why you give your kids commands. If you're a good dad and you're a good mom, and that's why God gives us commands because he's a good dad. And so he wants us to be childlike in obedience. Peter writes this in first Peter chapter one. I'm going to start in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he goes on and says, if you, if you call him father, act like his children. Obey him. My paraphrase of what he says in the next couple verses. We should have obedience like a child. A child like faith has trust. A child like faith demonstrates obedience. Number three, a child like Faith, be childlike in your humility. In your humility. Humility is knowing my place. It's knowing my place. That I'm important and I'm humbly honored by God. I'm above everything else in creation, but, and I'm like God, but I'm not God. I know my place. I know God's value and love for me above everything else in creation, but I know that while I bear His image, I'm not Him. I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. Think about a child who has a healthy relationship with their parents. They know that compared to every other child in the universe, they are humbly honored. And they are loved deeply by mom and dad. There's no one else, no other child in mom and dad's life that is more important than them. Or their brothers and sisters, all of them together, right? No, no, they're humbly honored. But they know that, that in that home, they're not mom or dad. They're still below their authority. They may have some autonomy and more and more as they grow and they can maybe maybe they get to decorate their room or paint their room or do it. But they're not dad. As long as you're under my roof, buddy. Right, here's the, here's the law. They know their place if they have a healthy relationship with their mom and dad. So be childlike in your humility. Here's how Jesus describes it. There's a time, Matthew 18, this is recorded in in uh, three of the Gospels. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, does that sound childlike or childish? Ish. That's ish, right? I mean, these are the guys arguing on the playground over whose dad's tougher. It's childish, right? Who's going to be greater in the kingdom? And they asked Jesus this, and so... Jesus in his gentle way, he calls, a, calls to himself a child. And he put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, like children, not children, like children, childlike, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whoever knows that it's not all about them, knows that they're honored and they're loved, but they're there underneath the authority of the Father, not on their own. They'll be honored, greatly honored in heaven. So be childlike in your humility. Know your place. Know your place. Fourth, we should be childlike in innocence. Some of the stories I read earlier, children have have great innocence and great honesty. Honesty could be another one we could write about. But the innocence of a child, is, it just makes us laugh. Because it's just they, just they just say what they think. And they, they say what they see. And there's no parsing of words. You, you don't have to dig too far with most kids to find out what it is they're really thinking. And it's entertaining. because. And sometimes, we, don't you just wish more people maybe were like that? And There wasn't the game being played, the childish religiosity playing the game, but instead we were just honest and innocent with one another. Children have great in it, great innocence. There, there was a time, another time when they, people were bringing children to Jesus. Mark writes about this in chapter ten. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. What are you? What are you doing? Why are you bringing these kids? But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. With innocence, with honesty, with humility. There's a simpleness, a simplicity to a childlike faith. As, as we read already, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil. Be, be childlike as it relates to evil. Be innocent. Paul writes this in, in Romans as well, right? Be innocent of what is evil. Be excellent at what is good. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be childlike in innocence. And this verse verse of of 1 Corinthians 14, 20, it really sums up the difference of childlikeness and childishness. Be childlike in your innocence, but don't think like a child in childish ways. Don't act like a child in childish ways. For when I was a child, Paul wrote, "I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Be innocent, but don't be childish. And Number five. And I think if we get this one down, we'd probably get the rest of them down. Number five, be childlike in imitating Jesus. In imitating Jesus. It's, it's been a while, but one of, one of our neighbors years ago, they've since moved, but at the time they had a little boy. And whenever he would go out and mow his yard with the push mower... You could count on the fact that about 30 seconds later, if you saw him go past the window, shortly after, you'd see the little boy go past the window with his toy mower right in his track, right behind him. He was imitating Dad. He wanted to be like Dad. We should imitate Jesus. We should be like Jesus, like a child would. In fact, the writer, or or, uh, excuse me, Paul writes in in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. This is right after he talks about our identity in Christ. He says, Therefore, if that's who you are, you're his child, be imitators of him. Imitate him as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those of you who have kids, when you see your kids imitating something you do this week, good or bad, <laughs> Remember, you should be imitating Jesus. I should be, they're imitating me, but if I imitated Jesus, then they'd really imitate him. Let's imitate Jesus and be childlike. John writes this in, in his first letter, chapter 3. He says, By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's really evident if you're a child of God because you, you act like him. You speak like him, you imitate him, you talk like him, you walk. My mom would always laugh at, at us when I was walking alongside my dad from behind, because she would I can't, I couldn't see it, but she said we walked exactly the same. We had like the same little hitch in the way we walked, and she just she'd just laugh. She's like, I know who that is from a long ways away, just by the way you're walking. John's saying, You'll know who children of God are just by the way they're imitating Jesus. Just by the way, they're walking. One conclusion, here's Jesus' last words in verse 35. He tells this parable, the parable of the brats, and he says, This generation is like a bunch of spoiled brats. They're, they're just they're religious critics. Nothing is ever good enough for them. They come to the board meeting and the, the annual meeting, and they say, I don't know what we're voting on, but I'm against it. <laughs> That's them, right? Jesus says, don't don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be childlike, not childish. Instead, wisdom is justified by all our children. It's just like what John says. You'll know who they are by their fruit. You'll know who they are by who they imitate. Childish religiosity is the offspring of fools, but childlike faith is the offspring of true godly wisdom. And finally, John says this in 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children... Abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You know, when you when you weren't doing what you ought to do and dad came home, you hid. But if you obeyed him like a good child, you're excited to see him when he showed up. Let's be good children. Let's be childlike in our faith. Excited for Jesus to return. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. We'll take our offering and sing and call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us in him. I know I pray that all the time. And I pray it often. And I pray it wouldn't become just rote for me. But it would truly be me thanking you for that. Because apart from his grace and apart from Jesus, I have no hope. I'd be childish all the time. Instead, Father, help us to be childlike, trusting you and loving you, trusting you without fear and with boldness, being obedient in our walk, being innocent, being humble, and imitating you, Jesus, and everything as dearly loved children. Father, I pray for those who've never trusted you, who would be here this morning. I pray that today might be the day they would turn in repentance and become your child, that they too could be childlike, with childlike faith, loving and trusting you. Um, Continue to teach us and encourage our hearts as we sing to you. And uh, Jesus, might you be honored and glorified in all we do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.